Hello, my name is Dwayne Peters, and I am with the Lupus Foundation of America, which is the founder and owner of the open access journal Lupus Science and Medicine, and managed and published by BMJ. During this program, we will present information about the global COVID-19 pandemic and how it is impacting people with lupus. We will also address issues surrounding the use of hydroxychloroquine in treating people who have contracted the coronavirus. For this discussion, I am pleased to have as our guest, Dr. Jill Bayon, who is co-editor-in-chief of Lupus Science and Medicine. Dr. Bayon is professor of medicine at New York University's School of Medicine. She is the director of the Division of Rheumatology at the Langone Medical Center Hospital for Joint Diseases and director of the hospital's Lupus Center. Dr. Bayon, welcome to the program and thank you for taking time to speak with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Dwayne. We are now more than six months into the COVID-19 pandemic. What lessons are we learning about COVID-19 and its impact on people with lupus? Well, I think we're learning above and beyond the rapidity with which information can shift gears. I don't think I've ever lived through a time in which today's idea are tomorrow's folly or vice versa. We're seeing a situation where there is a clamoring to get papers published. We're seeing big databases evaluated in very rapid fire. We're seeing application of ideas that have not gone through extensive peer review and the like. So imagine going from a situation where, gee, I have an immune overreaction. I'm on a drug that suppresses my immune system. Should I be worried about being more susceptible to some infection? Of course, in this case, a virus. All the way to, wow, I'm on a drug that the White House wants to take. And will that affect me being able to get it for a disease? And I've been taking it for years. And wait a minute, I thought that drug might be harmful to me. Maybe it's going to put me at less risk. And then all of a sudden, there's a toxicity that I don't remember my doctor talking to me much about. Imagine being in that situation. There are no times like that that I'm aware of. There has been a lot of information in the news about the side effects of hydroxychloroquine among people who are being treated with it for COVID-19. Should people with lupus be concerned about taking hydroxychloroquine? I think this is a very, very pertinent question. And these are observations coming out of studies that have really been somewhat alarming to the rheumatologists and lupologists that have been using hydroxychloroquine for decades. So one of the, I think, concerns that is coming out that patients are evaluating and physicians alike, particularly my cardiology colleagues, is what's going on with the cardiac toxicity and this idea that a certain interval and repolarization called the QTC is becoming prolonged and this may cause fatal arrhythmias. What's going on with that? So for one thing, it's been known for a long time that hydroxychloroquine has the potential to involve a prolongation of this so-called QTC interval. However, in general, most of the time, we're really not getting EKGs on our patients. We've never really thought it was necessary to do so. And in fact, our patients do very, very well. And this has not been an issue that any of us have recognized in any proportion that would be at all worrisome. All of a sudden now, we're hearing data with patients being on the drug for a relatively short period of time, suddenly there's a problem. Well, we need to take a quick, a more closer look at that. Number one, 
what are the daily doses being used in some of these studies? And some of them are triple what we have been currently recommending on a weight basis to our lupus patients. 800 milligrams a day or even higher is not a dose that we typically use to treat lupus long-term. Also, our patients are not hypoxic, febrile, older, obese. There are a lot of other factors that play out in this COVID pandemic. Plaquenil is being given, at least in the very beginning, to very, very sick patients. And what effect other aspects of the virus, the hypoxia, have to influence how the drug may affect the cardiac system, obviously is not totally known. And moreover, many of the studies are combining plaquenil with another possible arrhythmogenic drug. And that also, so for example, azithromycin, that can also affect how plaquenil may work. Most of our patients are not on the dual drugs together. And if they are, again, although we haven't really seen problems, our patients in general with lupus do not have the features of COVID that can add to the comorbidity of hydroxychloroquine. So I would also say that, as everybody probably knows, we've been using plaquenil very liberally during pregnancy. We feel it is safe, although the drug crosses the placenta. We've felt it's quite important for lupus patients to remain on this drug during pregnancy. And that's been borne out by Les Flares, by many authors, including Michelle Petrie. So we see great benefit in that. So just to let everybody understand that if we were to see a lot of toxicities, this is certainly a place it could have come out. We just completed a very small study, uh, not yet published, where we evaluated hydroxychloroquine levels and we evaluated QTC intervals in neonates who had been exposed to hydroxychloroquine during pregnancy. And of 45 neonates that we evaluated, five had slightly, five had abnormal QTCs, of two of which were a little bit more prolonged, but there were no onboard effects after that. So I think we have substantial safety data regarding potential cardiac toxicity of hydroxychloroquine that we have to be very cautious about our patients becoming overly anxious with what they read in the media or our own treating physicians in the same situation. Is there a difference in the way hydroxychloroquine is being used to treat COVID-19 versus how it is being used to treat people with lupus? We're very careful and cognizant of what our ophthalmologic colleagues have taught us. And so we pretty much dose weight-based five milligrams per kilogram. And in most of our patients, that translates to about 300 milligrams per day. Again, when you think about some of the trials where very high doses of drug were used, that obviously can make a difference. In patients who have COVID-19, is there something different about the disease in patients with lupus? Data are coming out from many different sources, and this is, again, subject to change because when we have small numbers, obviously the swings can be, be large. Because right now, the number of patients reported in the literature with lupus are probably less than 40 or 50. I mean, different series have different numbers. A report came out of Columbia that had 18. The Rheumatology Global Alliance, I think there might have been 30 or 40. I, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm misquoting the exact numbers. But a couple of things so far. Number one, really hard to know if patients with lupus who get COVID have a milder or more severe course. There's some suggestions that perhaps there's more hospitalization with lupus patients. But remember, we have to understand the denominator. So when we make these kinds of analyses, we have to ask ourselves, well, in a population in a geographic area, 
in the same ethnicity, in the same weight, in the same gender, what kind of ratios are we getting in the healthy population, so to speak, versus lupus? Those aren't such easy studies to do, but we're going to have to take an eye on that. We do know, though, interestingly, if you look at non-lupus and you look at biologics, actually, a big concern with biologics was that patients might be worse because they were immune compromised. That is not true. And in fact, some of those patients actually do better, which could be explained by the fact that COVID induces a cytokine storm, which is a time or a period at which your immune system is actually heightened, which might wind up becoming detrimental. So I think there are factors from what does viral load look like in a lupus patient? I think we don't know that yet. How do lupus patients react in terms of antibody responses? Does it generate more autoantibody responses? We don't know that yet. And how does it affect the severity if they get the disease? And we don't really know that yet. But answers to these questions are clearly going to be forthcoming in the next few months. And they're going to be forthcoming, one, because people got together around the world to address the questions. The numbers are large. And I can even say in New York City per se, we have gone back to survey all of the patients in our lupus cohort. Columbia did the same thing. And answers will be forthcoming with regard to medications, with regard to autoantibody responses, with regard to antibodies to COVID responses. All of these questions, I feel very confident, will be answered in the next few months. And hopefully, before we see any second wave, et cetera, et cetera, we'll be well positioned to properly counsel our lupus patients. I think that garnering these data will be invaluable to lupus patients. There is a lot to be learned here. I mean, who thought that Plaquenil might you know, have an effect on viral load? Think about this. Patients with lupus have an underlying increase in interferon alpha. Well, interferon alpha is a really important part of all of our innate immune system. Maybe that winds up being protective in some way. There's a lot to learn between the intersection between immunity, autoimmunity, and inflammation and infection. I think there really is a lot to learn, and I would be really pleased that people would spend some time to evaluate this. The other aspect, and this came up in Lupus Science and Medicine, we've tried to engage authors to submit to our journal. We've received two letters and a little review, so three publications so far in Lupus Science and Medicine. One I co-authored, so that's in full disclosure with Anka Oskinas, and I believe there was an interview with her. But recently, we received a lovely letter by Fengenson and colleagues, which really reviews the idea about complement activation. And obviously, this is near and dear to all of our hearts, but likewise, complement activation has played a role in antiphospholipid syndrome. It plays a role in microangiopathy. It plays a role in endothelial activation. And this really opens up a whole new idea of targeting the complement system. And that's, again, very near and dear to lupus patients and some of the issues they have with complement activation. Again, a direction that, in part, is about thinking about the pathogenesis of lupus. How is the journal responding to the COVID-19 pandemic? Are you planning to publish any specific articles, editorials, reviews, case studies, or shared insights? I would expect we would. But again, to say early on, actually in the very first few weeks in March, one of my colleagues put together a short perspective. As I said, we've already had three. I would be shocked if we didn't see some case series 
We generally don't accept single case reports in our journal, but I think small series will probably be very welcomed. And I'm going to guess that over the next few months, we will see a lot about COVID. Whether we're going to have a particular issue related only to COVID, not so pertinent to our journal, because everyone, I think, understands that we're an open access journal, and that's why things get published very, very quickly. And whether we need to thematize that, I'm not sure that's totally necessary. We're highly visible and on PubMed. So I can't say that we've thought about organizing this specifically, but rather to say we're very encouraged about evaluating relationships. And that those relationships between COVID and lupus could stem anywhere from the basic science to viral load and collect receptor signaling and interferon signatures, all the way to how COVID has impacted patients in terms of, for example, telehealth. Wouldn't that be interesting to identify how do patients do when they no longer have access to doctors or for some period of time? Their labs can't be evaluated as well. Going through televideo, how does that impact in the next year of their lives with lupus? These are all really great questions, and we'd welcome all sorts of articles addressing them. When the article on complement activation came in, I didn't spend days with an associate editor. I basically reviewed it myself, made comments, and good to go. And I think this is important. And this is what we encourage. If something is exciting, we rally around it, work on it, edit it out so that the readership can see it. I think it's been hard having labs closed for the last three months and digging our way out of that. But I see hopefully a future in which there are facts and this journal relishes publishing facts, ideas, and I'm hoping the journal can contribute to a better understanding of the correlationships with COVID infection and how it might pertain to lupus patients and all the other great science that we can understand or discover. I want to thank Dr. Jill Bion, co-editor-in-chief of Lupus Science and Medicine and director of the Lupus Center at the Langone Medical Center Hospital for Joint Diseases, for joining us today on this program and for updating us on the impact of COVID-19 on people with lupus. Thank you. For more information about lupus science and medicine, please go online to lupus.bmj.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Blaine.